I know everybody. So that's it. So we walked. We kept walking. And I saw some kids I knew. And I said, hello. I kept walking. So the couple turned around and went back and caught up to me. Because we're slow. You know, the dog is uh, going to the bathroom and smelling this rock and smelling this flower. And they're walking fast. They caught up to me. And I said, hello, who are you? And they told me, we're here because we live in Kfar Maimon and we're staying here. We live, actually, they told me we live in Otef Aza, which means the, the Gaza area, and we're, we're staying here. And they told me, where is someone's apartment? I know, I know that. And then I realized, like, oh, yeah, there's a war. Like, I'm such an idiot. That for one uh, morning, I was thinking back to normal. And I wanted to share that with you because things are not normal. And people are displaced. Lots of them. Um, the entire city of Elat is booked and packed with people who are staying in hotels and at home. I have uh, a good friend who's staying in an apartment in Jerusalem with her husband because she lives near the Gaza border and uh, got out. Um, and I had known, I, I saw that in our newspaper, they said that families from this area, Kfai Maimon, would be staying here. And actually, in the past, whenever there are rockets, um, this one, Yeshuv, Kfar Maimon, does come here because uh, they, I've opened the store for them. Anyway, they asked me who I am. I told them, and they knew who I was right, right away. They knew me, and uh, that's why, because of the store. So uh, I just wanted to share that things seemed normal, and they are moving along, and things seem to be like in Gaza, we're going to take over again, and... Um, I, I have less worry now over my boy there because we see videos of the IDF on the beaches and in the apartments and um, we, we, we see and we hear that the, the bad guys are getting taken care of and um, so hopefully it'll, it'll be okay and we will figure out, you know, I, I do think that my children will be serving in Gaza the rest of their lives. I think we're going to uh, you know, be in charge there. And like we once were, we got to get some Jewish families to live there and uh, just make it Jewish again, that's all. But um, this is not over. Things are not normal for many, many people. And um, although I concentrate on things like volunteering and the good things that are going on, a lot of people are displaced and it's it's hard. It's It's hard. It's hard for them, you know? Uh, to not be home. Um, there's something I didn't say, and I don't know if this is clear, if this is needs to be said, but these people who are giving their apartment and other people in Israel who are giving their apartments and the hotels, all that is free. People are not paying for that. The government might be paying for that. Uh, I think they are. Um, certain amount to each family. But a lot of these people, like, you know, the private family who's giving their apartment to these people, that's free, and I know what they charge because I've had guests stay there and I pay them. It's not cheap. Um, these people are losing money. Everyone's losing money. But um, Jews are very philanthropic. My dad used to say uh, the Jews are the best fundraisers in the world and the biggest donors. And if you go to any, any museum, university, memorial, uh, synagogue, You'll see 
the donor's wall. And it's just full, you know. And if you go to a full with names, Jewish names is what I'm trying to tell you. Synagogue, yes. But a museum, a hospital, um, memorial, always Jewish names, Jewish names. People, you know, the Jews are just so charitable. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's part of our heritage. And it's, that, that is passed on. I hope it is. Um, I say it is. I hope it is. But, uh, you know, some, some generations give more than their children. And um, some generations were very, very close with Israel. And their children have lost that flame. They've lost that love. They don't have that connection. It's very sad to see that. Um, if you uh, look at some of the... Um, like, if you see some of the pictures. I used to work with One Israel Fund. They, they do amazing trips all throughout Judea and Samaria. Really, really good. They have an amazing tour guide, Eve Harrow. She's so knowledgeable. She's entertaining. She's so smart. And I used to go on these tours. I was in charge of a community project. So I went on, I think I went on 16 tours, okay, in one year. And I met all the people. And I'll tell you this, all the people who go on those tours are old. And that says a lot. These were visitors, most of them here in Israel on a vacation or visiting family. And the ones who care about going out and seeing Yudan Shamron are old. Well, where are the young people? Why aren't the young people coming? That, that always upset me to see the pictures. Now I'm not with them anymore, but I see the pictures. And it's the same people, these same old people. And it's very, um, very disturbing because I know young people travel, okay? My family travels. They're young. They go around the world. But, uh, you know, they're not coming to Israel. They're not coming to Yudan Shamron. And um, they just don't see that as important. It's got to change. And maybe this war will make that change. You know, it was, it was pretty funny. These people said to me just now, um, your Hebrew is good. And I was like, really? My kids say it's terrible. They said, it's good. It's good. And they said, how long have you been here? And do you have any contact with anyone in America? And I said, my entire family's there. I talk to them every day. And I told them, uh, you know, I'm a representative. I'm the spokesperson for Hatzalah Yudav Shamron. So I'm in touch with people all the time. And they're like, oh, wow. And they said, what, what is it like there? What do they think? What are, they th what are Americans thinking? Wow. And it was very hard to tell them that they are very pro-Hamas. And there's a lot of um, rallies, you know, supporting Hamas. And the, the public talk is, oh, the poor Palestinians. And it's hard to tell them that, you know, people who have had to evacuate their home. I didn't ask them anything personal. If anyone got hurt, if anyone was kidnapped or murdered, you know what I mean? Uh, it's been so hard. Even someone last week at the store, a woman who lives here, I know her, beautiful girl. She must be in her early 30s. She was at a funeral of someone and who was murdered. And... Um, she says she knew the mother, you know, she hasn't seen her in four or five years. And uh, it's just affected everybody, you know. There is no one, no one in Israel who is not touched by this in some way, in some personal way. Everyone. And um, there are Americans who were killed and there are Americans who were kidnapped. And that's, just, I don't understand, like, wouldn't the American government and the American people get behind that? 
you know, like these are bad. Hamas is bad. Uh, get rid of them. They're killing our people. They're killing the Jews and they're killing Americans. They don't care. Uh, wow, it just started to rain here. I'm so excited. Little drops of rain. It's really beautiful. I'm going to take a picture and post it with this show. Hi, everybody. I'm doing my morning walk. It's now uh, really foggy. We got rain yesterday. My favorite. This is my favorite weather. Um, like foggy and damp and wet. And oh, I just love it. It's cold. It's starting to get cold. It's great. You can wear a sweatshirt now. And um, I'm still sweating, you know, under my clothes because of the walk. I'm now doing my second walk of the morning with my husky, Packer. And it's getting noisy. It's already 7.30. And you hear traffic. You hear the buses coming in and out of the Yishuv. People driving in and out of the Yishuv. Kids going to school. Mommy's taking their kids to kindergarten. So things are like buzzing along, you know. It feels pretty, uh, pretty normal. You would not know there was a war going on, really. As a matter of fact, I think I told you yesterday, I ran into a couple during my walk and asked who they were, forgetting that people are evacuated from their homes still. Still, still not able to go home. Um, although there are some people who have not left. Uh, you all should know that. I didn't want to talk about that, but there are people who were not able to leave. And I, and I think I already spoke about this. Our rescuers, rescuers without borders, our medics are working along the Gaza border. We have 60 volunteers down there distributing medicine and supplies for people who cannot leave, disabled people, people with no other place to go, um, very old people who have difficulty moving. Um, there are a few different circumstances which make people unable to leave, but uh, most of them have. But what I wanted to talk to you about now is something interesting that happened. I just wanted to share this with you. Um, yesterday I was in Beersheba with my husband and we were in the old city. We walked by someone who had just parked his car. Big guy, big guy, dark, Sephardi, and uh, wearing shorts and a t-shirt. He flipped his license plate from um, a regular one and covered it up with one that just kind of seemed to pop out and cover it with a policeman uh, license plate. And at the same time, his little boy, must have been five years old, ran um, up to the sidewalk to be with his dad and the dad said come and the boy said Anipo and I'm here. It was very um, interesting. I, I didn't see the boy. I thought actually it was a big dog and it was very um, interesting and touching in a few ways. First of all my husband said did you see that? And I I didn't know what he was talking about. Okay, so I said, what? See what? He said, did you see that guy flip his license plate and cover it up with a, with a um, policeman's license plate so he wouldn't have to pay? And I was like, no, I, I didn't know what he was doing. I just saw that kid pop out of the cars like a dog. I, I didn't even know what that thing was. And he's like, oh, can you believe it? You know, he's just trying not to pay. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, and then we started explaining, I didn't understand why he would be able to change his license plate, why he wouldn't just say police all the time, and maybe he's undercover, and this type of thing. Which I don't know. But he was dressed in, like, really loungewear, like a matching shirt and shorts, almost like he was a cabana, like working at a cabana. It was hilarious. 
um, and his little boy was very cute, and I was thinking that, um, you know, children learn from their parents. Sons learn from their fathers. Whether their fathers are criminals or good people, the, the, our children look up to us at a very young age. And they, um, you know, do what we do because they think we do it right. And the best parents do it right. They're giving, they're generous, they're patient, they're fair. They follow rules, they're considerate. And um, our children learn those values. There are other people, other parents, other adults who cheat and lie and steal. And their children learn those things from them. And I've seen over the years, and so have many of you, both. You see both. And it's very sad to see some of these videos of the Palestinian Arab men, you know, having their children throw rocks at soldiers and yell at soldiers, Israeli soldiers, okay, taunt them. Um, this is what they're teaching them. And then you see them putting kikans in their kids, you know, sending their kids to terror camp. And um, they're terrorists themselves, these Hamas nicking, these Hamas people, Muslim Brotherhood, Al-Akbar Brigade, Hezbollah, whatever you call it, whatever the name of the organization is that wants to kill Jews, I don't care what it's called. It's all the same. They're all the same. This is what they're, uh, this is how they are teaching their children. This is what their children grow up revering. It's so sad. It's so sad. Um, so it's sad. But these people do grow up, and that's what they do. Their goal is to kill Jews as many as they can. And we can't feel sorry for them. I don't feel sorry for them. It's, it's not fair that I got parents who taught me to work hard, to follow rules, to give charity, you know, and, and, and to help the world around me and make it better. And those people who grow up learning hate, learning, learning, you know, kill the Jew and uh, kill as many as you can. It's, it's not fair. But that is what exists. That is the world. That is the situation that we are in. And I think it's always been that way. There have always been good people having children and less good people having children. And um, you don't equate them. They're not the same. They're not equal, even though it's not fair. And I'll just say one more thing. There's this expression and there's this reasoning, give the benefit of the doubt. Um, when it comes to 
crimes against humanity, killing, decapitating, um, even stealing, you know, kidnapping, um, terrorizing. You don't give the benefit of the doubt. They don't get a benefit of a doubt, okay? The facts are enough. They did it. I don't care why. I don't care who raised them. I don't care that they were stuck with uh, terrorists as parents. They did it. They're accountable. That's it. I'll add this. I don't know if um, we want to play it later or not. But it's been reported that um, they have found, our soldiers have found in Gaza, beautiful, beautiful beach houses along the water in Gaza, on the beach, beautiful, and um, underneath all of them are tunnels connecting each house to the terror tunnel network. And um, they've also found in each of these houses uh, tons of cash, money, tons, and weapons. And um, some of them uh, are booby-trapped with, uh, there's a, there's a, they figured it out, how, which ones are booby-trapped, which aren't, they, they figured that out. And, um, you know, some of these Hamas leaders, some of these people in Gaza, we're living very well. Now, this is not a surprise to any of us because, you know, you can go on Airbnb for the past, you know, 10 years and look up um, Gaza City and you see really, really nice places there. Uh, we know they have water parks, they have festivals, they have boutique hotels, and the, the rich live very well. And there's, you know, the poor that don't, just like in any uh, place. There's rich and there's poor. Um, so that wasn't a surprise, but it just seems, um, wow, why would they leave? Why, why would they, the Hamas, why would they give up this lifestyle they had? They had a good thing going. They were living off the, the backs of their poor people. They were living well. Why? What, what did they seek in this attack? Um, they, they fled. A lot of these people have fled to different countries. They're in hiding, or they've been killed. Um, just seems uh, bizarre. But you know, these are things I don't know. I'm not part of the Hamas. I'm not part of the Arab leadership, and um, whatever. I just uh, thought that was an interesting thing to share. Uh, some people really are, you know, stuck thinking that all the Gaza people are poor. And, yeah, probably many of them are. And if you listen to some of these news interviews with the Gaza refugees, or even in the past, if you ever heard them, they, they all say the same thing. There is no work. There is no work. My husband's out of work. My sons are out of work. I have six sons. They're all out of work. And I remember recently seeing something like, the only work is just digging tunnels. And they were taking kids to dig tunnels for years. And that was the work. Now, you know, we don't know if that's true or not. Because they have big buildings. They did have apartments. They did have hospitals. And they do have schools. And they got tons of aid. So there were teachers. 
and uh, doctors and nurses and people took out the trash and uh, gardeners because they did have water parks and some of these beautiful hotels and these beautiful villots had gardeners so there was some work but yeah they didn't really have i don't think any factories except for weapons um and everything was controlled by hamas it's true it's uh it was a terror a little terror state is what it was and uh wherever those people go wherever these um militants go whether it be Gaza or Lebanon or Jordan or Egypt. I mean, they've been to all those places in Syria, you know, and they just create havoc in every place they go. And that's why a lot of those Arab countries don't want them. Um, they turn against their host country. It's, a, it's terrible. It's terrible. Hey, everybody, just a few words. Um, I keep reading these updates about the war. I'm on this group, Israel, real, real world updates or something like that. It's an English group here, and uh, several long, long um, reports are published every day, and I don't really get a chance to look at them. And I, I just did just now. I'm on my walk with the dog, and I'm on the top of a pile of rocks. And um, they're going on and on about how patients and staff are being transferred from the uh, hospital, I think it's Al Shifra Hospital. And um, all I'm thinking about is, is we're at week five, week six of this war already. The, uh, the headquarters of Hamas have been discovered under the hospital. For a few weeks, they've been, Israeli uh, Defense Forces have been telling people of northern Gaza to get out and um, I, I know they've surrounded the hospital, and, and the whole hospital is a big operation. The thing that's upsetting, and no one seems to be saying anything to this, maybe maybe they are, and I just don't hear it, but and we all watched MASH, you know, and we all watched uh, ER, and we all know how hospitals work, and they have a helicopter pad on top, and they fly emergencies in all the time, and they have the capability of, pay, of getting people out. And they could have been flying people out to safety since day one. And... Um, how come no one's uh, saying anything about that? Why haven't the Gazan people, why haven't the Red Cross, the international community, they're so concerned, why aren't they getting those people out of the hospital? Why is it falling to um, Israel begging and pleading and waiting um, to get them out? And if Gaza has so much international aid already, and if they're in a war, why aren't all hands on deck, you know, taking care of all these needs? I, I don't understand it. Where is the Red Cross? I, I think that call hasn't gone out. Where is the Red Cross? And I'll say it again here. Where is the Red Cross? It's bizarre. And it's, it's unacceptable. Here, I'm talking a little bit about Arab labor and the neighborhoods uh, built in Susia. The big ones use Arab labor. They use a big company that's a Jewish company, but the labor is Arab-Palestinian labor. And um, they work behind uh, the big projects, the one going on now before the war, the new houses. They are working behind a steel uh, barrier 
And they're even, when they bring, come in the morning, they're driven in and they walk in a section that is uh, a steel barrier. But um, I, I talk about it here. So uh, here you go. Here we go. So about the building, let me just continue what I'm just showing you here, what I just showed you. This high guarded um, metal construction of a fence for the workers and the work area is the best scenario, I said. And so just, just consider that. That's the best, most secure scenario you're going to see ever. What else do you see? What other scenarios do you see? I'll tell you. You'll see workers without any barriers, no borders, no security, really. Always a security person, a security guard, but the workers on their own are with their axes and their tools and their building and their digging and their operating equipment. And, you know, say there are, I don't know, five of them and there's one guard. Do you think that guard is standing there with his eyes open, watching every single five person worker? Of course not. What do you see though? The, the, I'll tell you what you see, because this has happened. Um, they built right next to our house a couple years ago, a building to, to be a youth center for the kids. It had been nothing, just ground. They rented a youth center, they used Arab labor, it was terrible, right next to our house. The guard, every day, I think it was probably most often the same guard every day, that I don't know, but I know there were a few. Well, the guard would be in his truck, reading a book. He'd be in a chair under a tree, taking a nap. He'd be in a chair off beyond the work site, not in it, but like right outside the area. And there was no area, like a fence, like I just showed you, nothing like that. But like nearby, like on a, in a convenient spot for him, on his phone. And um, we all know, everyone listening today knows that the world, everyone has a phone. And it's very consuming. People are on their phones. Even during a date, I think people are on their phones. Even in meetings, people are on their phones. Um, I had a quick meeting with a woman the other day. She not only was on her phone, but she was talking through her earpiece while she was sitting with me. So just imagine what these guards do when they're bored. Um, so the security situation was pretty bad. And different times and different places, it has exploded in a terrible way. And you'll get these reports like, oh, an Arab shot. Um, there's a shootout in this area. An Arab security guard. Or um, an Arab uh, cleaner who had been working there for years. And that's one thing. What, what sets them off? What makes them all of a sudden shoot the, the very people who have been employing them? But the security is another situation. The security is just terrible. It's a bit of a, um, huh, what can I say? It's a, it's a sham, okay? But like anything else, there is human flaw. And there are, there are flaws in the system. People are human. People get tired. People get bored. Um, you can't expect 
someone to be on all operating on all cylinders all the time. And then another thing that happens is the guards become friendly with these workers. So they grant them favors. If a worker wants to take a break and walk over there and tells the guard I just need you know to walk over there for a minute and relieve myself, say, right? Because I don't think they have bathrooms where they're working, so they have to go wherever. The guard's going to say no. Of course not. He's going to say, yeah, go ahead. You think he's going to watch him? He's not watching him anyway. So the security has not been the greatest. And um, there, there have not been enough places with an outcry against it. But, you know, there's a reason, you know, everybody's making money. The guards are making money. The kablan, the contractor's making money. Um, everybody's making money. So the system was going very well. And as many of you know, Israel has been, you know, growing and thriving and building. And I'm talking especially where I live in, you know, Yudan and Shomron. More families moving in, the numbers going up, more houses going up, more neighborhoods. It's all Arab labor. This is Arab labor. So, uh, that has been going on. That is a security threat, a big security threat. But people reason themselves out of it. They're secure. They have guards. They know what they're doing. Or as my famous line from my neighbor, when she had Arabs build her house and I asked her, oh, our Arabs were good Arabs. You know, I wish, I wish that like the other Israelis, I also believed that they were just cheap labor, that these workers are under control, and uh, I trust the system, and the company has protections in place so that everything is done safely, and the work gets done, and they're taken home, and there's no danger. I really wish I was that kind of Israeli. I wish I had that naive mind and those eyes to not see the flaws. Wow, I wish. That would be so great to, um, to believe and to be peace, at peace with, with the way things are and to see nothing wrong with having an enemy worker tend to my garden, build my addition, or work in my neighborhood. But I'm not like that. And I see it, and I don't like it, and I know it's wrong. I know while some of these people may be non-threatening, they are, in general, an enemy population. You just may as well say it and look at it, because that's what it is. They are sworn to our destruction. If you have to have a guard with your workers, what does that sound like to you? Hey, I want to share something with you. Um, I read something recently, and it was pretty funny to see this written because I've thought this my entire life uh, living in Israel. Someone wrote about how um, our nation is full of superheroes. And when trouble breaks out, your neighbors and your friends put on a cape, and all of a sudden they're soldiers. And uh, it described the different kinds of people 
that you know in your neighborhood. And it's so true and it's so cool. And I've spoken to you over the past two years, three years, about the different roles people have in life. About how the thankful lady is also the one who works at the store and how people have to get along here because you all live together and you all know each other and there's no theft and there's no crime because of that. I mean, a, a child is not going to steal from the store when the owner of the store, you know, is uh, the same guy who reads the Torah and Shulman is going to be helping him with his bar mitzvah, right? Or uh, you're not going to run, you're not going to, uh, you know, um, steal um, someone's bike when the family is your second grade teacher from five years ago, right? You know what I mean? Everyone knows everyone here. They're no strangers. You don't uh, commit a crime to your neighbor. You commit a crime when it's someone you don't know, I think. Anyway, when it comes to war, and we're having a war now, you do see the same thing. I just passed my neighbor, who I can't stand. We fight all the time. He talks too much on his phone. He plays music too loud. His uh, kids are loud. They put a basketball hoop outside their house we hear them bouncing the ball all the time inappropriately out constantly telling him to stop and he's just a big he drives too fast um a dangerous driver his license was taken away not one of these type of guys but he was just walking home i'm walking my dog you know 6 30 in the morning and he i pass him right outside my gate and he's in uniform which means he was guarding all night now i don't know if it was 12 hours i don't know if it was four hours but he's protecting me and this is what you see. You see normal men, normal dads, and you know them in their roles here, like the one now at the gate. Um, my son taught his boy how to swim, and his boy was in my swim class this summer. He just had his bar mitzvah, and he, like a father's guarding the gate. And then um, you see uh, other people you know through your life, different roles they play here in Susia or in life. And they're all of a sudden guarding you. You know, there's something to say about that. That's that's pretty amazing. And um, the men we don't see that aren't here, and it's, I think, 50%, maybe higher, the brothers and the fathers are out in Gaza or along the Golan or along the Gaza border. They're all fighting. They're all in uniform. They are are superheroes and um, I don't think that's a secret power Israel has there's no secret but wow it's not just people in uniform our men and women they fight with their whole heart I want to share a thought with you today in Jerusalem at the um, checkpoint going into the tunnels this is the entrance I take when I go into Jerusalem. There was a terrorist attack, shooting attack. It just so happened that um, when the car was being checked and every car is stopped going into Jerusalem, uh, three terrorists jumped out of a car and shot everybody around them. It's a huge, um, uh, I think that's four lanes going one way into Jerusalem, four lanes coming from Jerusalem of traffic. It was nine in the morning. A lot of people, a lot of cars, a lot of vehicles, a lot of people. Um, I think seven or eight people were injured. And we just got news that one of the security guards there, a 20-year-old, actually died. Very sad. Um, he was from Haifa. 
only 20. Um, and they found, uh, in the car of the terrorists, they found weapons and ammunition, axes, and IDF uniforms. Uh, they were, uh, neutralized. And, um, what, uh, is being said here is that our security officers actually prevented a much larger attack that had obviously been planned to uh, occur in Jerusalem. And they think there were probably more terrorists also. So for a while, that whole area was um, closed off. There was no traffic in or out. And they were searching actually for a bomb also. Anyway, they determined those terrorists come from Hebron. Why am I telling you this? I spent today with Regavim, the organization that is um, advocating um, that the Israeli government uphold the law and require uh, all people who want to build um, that they go through the process, you know, of getting a building permit and everyone who does not have legal structures, get rid of them. And there's tons, tons of illegal Arab construction. Um, the number quoted today was something like over 81,000 uh, illegal Arab structures. That's a hard number to hear. But I do believe it. I see it in front of my in front of my face. I see it here everywhere, everywhere where I live. Arab construction, illegal Arab construction. And the people I was with, this was a press tour. These were foreign journalists, most of them from Europe. And they had like, I don't know how to say this nicely. Okay, they had like no emotion when speaking and listening and talking to the speaker, Naomi Khan, who's in charge of Regavim, she's the head. And when they spoke to me, they just, it was just so strange for me to, I mean, one person even said, oh, that Arab town there, and she knew it. He's like, yeah, I know that Arab town. And they were here even before the Jewish towns and they're legal and they're growing and why shouldn't they? And I was like, of course it's not legal. This is Jewish land. He's like, no, no, they're they're legal, and there's an Arab city. And I was just like, what are you talking about? It was weird. Um, and I actually was speaking to another journalist about um, how the Arabs hate us and want us dead. And he showed no reaction. And I said, you know what happened October 7th? It's just a drop in the bucket. I mean, they all want to kill Jews. They, they all want an, an October 7th. And these, this kind of violence has been going on in Judea and Samaria for years. No reaction. And I, I said, you know what happened October 7th. I, you do know they want to keep killing us, right? I mean, they want us all dead. That's why there's a problem. And he was just like showed no emotion at all. No, no, like, I, I don't know what to say about that. It was really weird. And um, a friend of mine in America is telling me that her progressive Jewish friends can't understand why the world doesn't love the Jews and why she's not getting any support and why Israel is not getting support. And I want to actually read to you what she wrote to me because um, I wasn't surprised to read it or hear it. Do you know what I keep hearing from people over and over again? Jewish people? 
They keep saying that, oh, I am a progressive and all the groups that I've dedicated my life to and then I've supported are not supporting the Jewish people. Why? That's our show for today. I'm sorry it was a bit of a mishmash of recordings, but that's what I got for you and I hope you learned something. Um, that Regavim tour was just amazing. I could do a whole show just on that and all the information I learned and how the, the illegal Arab construction in Area C, which is the Jewish area of Yudan Shamron, is so scary. It's so much. And I do see this. You know, I've been talking about this for years. When I go on my walks and I just look over the hill, you see it all. But wow, I saw so much more and I understand it so much more now. And it's just so, it's so much and it's so well funded and it's such a well-oiled machine. And um, there's just a lot to do. And it's a big, big fight. And it's fighting against our own government, really enforcing them to lay down the law. You have to, you know, put your foot down. There's, there's somebody who's right and there's somebody who's wrong. There's always a winner and a loser everything that's hard to do is a winner and a loser and it just seems ridiculous to me and it's crazy that there is this organization Regavim, and there's actually a need for it and there shouldn't be there shouldn't be you know <laughs> the israeli government should be watching and penalizing criminals and if somebody is building a structure um wherever they want they it should be knocked down you can't just go into any land you want anywhere in the world and decide this is where I'm going to build my house. It's mine. No, there's a process, you know, ridiculous. So if any of you have more questions about that, let me know and I'll pass them on to the head of Regavim, who's a friend of mine. Really amazing organization. They do amazing work. Thank you all for listening. Please tune in next week and um, Shavuot Tov to everyone.